This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. More than a pleasure to have John Nichols with us. John's a pioneering political blogger, and he's written The Beat since 1999. He writes about politics for The Nation magazine as its Washington correspondent. He's also a contributing writer for The Progressive and In These Times, associate editor of The Capital Times, the daily newspaper of Madison, Wisconsin. His articles have appeared in The New York Times, Chicago Tribune, and dozens of other newspapers. He's been on the show a number of times. Glad to have him back with us. John, good afternoon and welcome. Happy Monday. It is great to be with you, my dear. Uh, before we get to your piece entitled John Boehner's Move Deepens a Republican Chasm, and um, I, and to talk about that, because I think you're actually right, and I think a lot of Republicans especially are, are missing the mark on that. Um, John Boehner has been saying some things, um, you know, kind of alluding to uh, wolves in sheep's clothing uh, with regard to, uh, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, uh, with regard to certain Republicans. And uh, that, that's come out in the past, uh, you know, couple of days. Uh, do you think he's clearly, you know, pointing to Donald Trump with regard to this, or do you think he's talking about some others? Oh, I, I don't think it's just Trump. Um, I think that Boehner's anger is uh, a much, much broader anger than that. And, uh, and in fact, I suspect that while uh, nobody in the Republican Party at this point can avoid talking about Trump, he is a dominant reality, which is a you know, sidelight. They keep trying to pretend is diminishing, but, but he never quite seems to diminish. Um, and, but I, I think that Boehner is actually talking about a lot of political players who have very little interest in governing. They're extremely interested in getting power, and with that power in you know, extending their own circumstance, perhaps, uh, feeding their own ego, as is the case with Trump, uh, or advancing an ideology, as is the case with the folks he has to deal with on the Hill. But um, you can love Boehner or hate him, and there's plenty of things to disagree with him on. But the one thing is that he is a man of government, going back to his days in the Ohio legislature. Being a man of government doesn't make him a liberal. Uh, he's very, very conservative extremely economically conservative, extremely socially conservative, very anti-abortion, a very old-school right-winger. But he was raised, he came up in a politics that said, when you get elected to public office, you try to get the most for your ideology, you try to advance it the most effectively you can, but then at the end of the day, you do accept the responsibility of that office, which is to govern. You make compromises, you sometimes make deals, it's not fun, but at the end of the day, you shape the nature, the character, the scope of the country based on a give and take, a dialectic back and forth. Um, I think what he is saying is that that no longer exists within elements of the Republican Party, and that there are people who use the party as a vehicle for their own interests, but um, have very little interest in governing. 
and, 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 and you think and, and you and you think that's what he was referring to with false prophets. I mean, I think you know, I think he clearly, uh, you know, people are writing uh, that he sneakily called Ted Cruz a jackass on Face the Nation, and that uh, that that Ted Cruz would be one of the false prophets along with Trump and some and some of right. The I think the list is long, Leslie, and and you know, we would be uh, you know kind of going a little farther than our brief if we tried to name everybody because right. we can't read John Boehner's mind. But, and when you say he's a man of government, because, yeah. you know, I, I, I have to give him that. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people don't like him, especially, you know, Democrats. I've heard from people that know him, who, who we won't name names, and you know some of the people I know that know him, that he's actually a very nice person. And that yeah. he's, he's not, you know, the evil conservative that some of us on the left would have him out to be. And one example of him being government is, you know, he did. He was part of the group that was like, get rid of the Planned Parenthood thing. We're not shutting this government down over this, right? And d- well, despite yeah, exactly. how staunchly pro-life he is. Oh no, he's he's rigidly pro-life. And if let, let's let us again go to that core concept. If John Boehner was the king, if he could do what he wanted, he would probably shut down Planned Parenthood. He would probably ban abortion. You know, just go all in. Right? That's, that's right. reality. Don't try and imagine him as anything different. Right. However, he is somebody who, in more than 30 years in politics, and I actually... Wait, hold that thought, John. I hear the music. I, 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 okay. We're up against a break. My apologies asking you for a, a, a question that requires a lengthy answer. We'll be back with you right after this, John, and we'll continue with that response regarding John Boehner and uh, government versus his personal beliefs. John Nichols is our guest. Back with him right after this. Leslie Marshall, and this is the Leslie Marshall Show. You know, I'm really serious about my health. I get more so each and every year, and I decided I am going to do something about it. And you know what? The thing I've decided to do is very easy. Of course, you want to eat healthy, you want to exercise, but I have added something called Super Beats to my daily routine. It's a circulation superfood powder, and it helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure as well. As a matter of fact, I went to the doctor this morning. And my blood pressure wasn't high. It was healthy, but it's even lower than it was. And I definitely can tell you I have more stamina. Amazing energy as well. The New York Times calls Beats Fitness in a glass. And with Super Beats, I get all the benefits without that bad taste. I don't get the calories. I don't get the sugar. And I don't get the jitters. So I get that jitter-free energy boost. I mix it with a protein shake. You can mix it in water, mix it in a smoothie. Each canister of Super Beats will give you, as it gives me, 90 non-GMO beets, and they tastes great. You'll love the taste and feel the results in as little as 20 minutes. Now that's guaranteed or you do not pay. Did you hear me? Guaranteed. Super Eats comes in black cherry too. So if you didn't like the taste before, you're worried about the taste, check it out. Don't let the taste hold you back. I feel so confident offering this to you, my listeners, because like I said, I've added this to my routine, Super Beats, every day. It's my new favorite thing. So I called them up and I said, what are you going to do for my listeners? They're special to me. They're like a part of our family. I want them to have something special, something exclusive. And guess what? They said, okay. So over the next few weeks, here is what they're going to do. Go to your computer or on your phone, log on to leslielovesbeats.com, click the order button next to my picture, or call 800-305-6011. 
And with your order, you'll get one free Super Beats canister. That's an extra 30-day supply. That's not like a day or a week, a 30-day, a whole month. A free Beat the Odds book, free shipping and handling. How great is that? All you have to do is call within the next few weeks. But you know what? Call now. Because if you're like me, you're like, I'm going to call in a few weeks, a few weeks pass, and it's over. Remember, all you got to do is go to LeslieLovesBeats.com today and click the order button next to my picture before this all ends. Super Beats, that's LeslieLovesBeats.com or 800-305-6011. Again, that number, 800-305-6011. We are talking this hour with my guest, John Nichols, pioneering political blogger who's written The Beat since 1999. He also writes politics for The Nation magazine as its Washington correspondent. And we're talking about a piece entitled John Boehner's Move Deepens a Republican Chasm. John, before the break, we were talking about John Boehner's loyalty uh, to government uh, before his own personal beliefs on issues such as abortion, as an example, with the latest Planned Parenthood uh, held hostage, uh, holding, holding the government hostage, uh, you know, uh, and possibly shutting it down over defunding Planned Parenthood for one year uh, for services that via the Hyde Amendment they don't have paid by federal funds and that are only three or less percent of their services, and they're not the only clinic that gets federal funds. Need I go on? It, it, you could go on. And look, again, the core concept that people need to take away from this is not that John Boehner is a fan of Planned Parenthood or that he would fund it if it was his choice. It is that John Boehner... By and large, not always. He wasn't a perfect player, and I don't want to overinflate him. But by and large, he was one of those people who believed that if you didn't have the votes to do something, then you look to compromise. You look to figure out a way to, to reach an agreement. And, and that if a majority of people in the House of Representatives wanted to do something, you let that come to a vote. These are two separate things. But both of them come back to the notion of governing. Remember that Boehner has been the prisoner of a minority in the House. Even though Republicans have had the majority, they have operated, by and large, according to something called the Hastert Rule. The Hastert Rule, developed by Denny Hastert, I actually kind of accepted even before that by Tom DeLay, holds that if a majority of Republicans want to do something or don't want to do something, the Speaker has to follow that. Now, you understand what that does. That makes the position of Speaker of the House completely meaningless because all you are is a supermajority leader. You do what your caucus says. And so where Boehner was in a problem situation was on the issue of Planned Parenthood, where you did have certainly a substantial number of Republicans who were willing to shut the government down on defunding Planned Parenthood, that wasn't the majority of the House. There was enough Republicans who were willing to go with the Democrats to keep the government functioning, even if it meant Planned Parenthood had to go on. Boehner was in that camp. He was willing to allow that vote. Uh, he had people within his caucus that, that weren't there. So what we're really talking about, Leslie, is a question of whether the Republican Party chooses any longer to govern, whether when they come to positions of power and authority, they choose to govern, or their simple purpose is political showmanship, political gamesmanship. I think that Boehner looked at it, decided that his party no longer is willing, as a you know, united bloc, to govern, and he chose not to lead that anymore. 
are you surprised that he's saying the things that he's saying about these Tea Party faction, ultra conservative members of the Republican Party, A, and B, are you also surprised that they, being the minority of the minority, have so much power over people like Boehner, even though they got him out? I mean, the guy that's going to replace him really doesn't have that much of a different bend. I mean, he's not a Tea Party guy. They don't have the votes to have a Tea Party guy, one of their own. The guy who's going to replace him probably uh, is less capable, less experienced, dramatically less experienced than Boehner. And so it, it's a degeneration, if you will. But you see, the, the Tea Party right within the party, this small faction, they're more than satisfied with it. That's fine. They like weak and incompetent leaders because then they call the shots, right? They have people who will bend to their extremism. And am I surprised that they have so much power? No. Unfortunately, the structures of our politics make that a reality. What we've done is we have so radically gerrymandered districts in this country that uh, we no longer have competitive districts where a Republican has to err toward the mainstream in which to get, in which, in order to get elected. Instead, even relatively mainstream Republicans, relatively moderate, and I use the word relatively with a big line under it, relatively moderate Republicans still have to err toward and respect the far right because their problems do not come from a Democratic challenger in November, their problems come from the potential of a primary challenger in May or June or August. And so this has, this has completely warped the Republican Party. It has made the Republican Party at a congressional level a disaster. And it, is, it does not in any way reflect its own history. This is very out of sync with what the Republican Party historically has been. It's a mess in the House. It's very problematic in the Senate. And, Leslie, I think the most important thing, and I think to some extent this is what Boehner's been talking about, this dysfunction is now creeping into the presidential-level politics. And it's going to hit a breaking point. I mean, one of two things is going to happen, Leslie. Either we're going to, by some incredibly bad break as a country, uh, which I do not see coming, end up with Republican president, House, and Senate uh, steering this country toward an extremism that, that we have not known before. Or, more likely, the Republican Party itself is going to crash and burn. It, it won't disappear, but it's going to go through uh, a series of setbacks that are going to be very, very serious for it. John, you're titillating me, and we're not even alone in the room together when you talk like that. What's that? Uh, you're titillating me, and I said we're not even alone in the room together when you're talking like that. Well, know? it could. As I remember, the first thing I said was pretty dark. You know, you could end up with a governance that is, you know, fully dysfunctional and, and very problematic. But I don't think that's where we're going. I think we are in a circumstance that is quite similar to where the Republican Party was in 1962, 1963 when the John Birch Society was moving very, very hard into the Republican Party, where you had a lot of extremists who were on the march, and they eventually succeeded. They got Barry Goldwater nominated for President of the United States in 1964. They also knocked out a lot of mainstream Republicans in House races and Senate races across the country. And then they lost so badly 
so overwhelmingly that even William F. Buckley, the great conservative, was saying, we've got to get these people out of here. This, they are going to destroy not just republicanism, but conservatism. And I think that we are moving into this zone. I think the Boehner step-down speaks of this. Our only problem today, I see two challenges that are important. Number one, we have a media that too frequently treats these people seriously. And I don't want to see bias. It's not that. But I do think it's important that our media recognize the extremism that has come into play. That this is not just a conservative faction. Uh, this is really a, a faction of folks who are so extreme that serious conservatives like John Boehner can't work with them. Yeah, but, but here's, here's another thing, and you write about this in your piece entitled John Boehner's Move Deepens the Republican Chasm. When Rubio was speaking, there were people that jumped to their feet and applauded, um, as they did when Ted Cruz also announced that John Boehner was leaving. And like you said, maybe the voters don't all know, especially those who you know don't read politics when they're in the bathroom, but politicians in D.C. know that the replacement for Boehner is not going to be as strong as Boehner may not be able to get things done. They view Boehner as a compromiser, but hello, how many times did they try, try and repeal and replace Obamacare? Their efforts in the past have led to, although some people would say when the elections came up, it was beneficial to them. They have control of both the House and the Senate now. But they have been blamed in the past by the American public, Republicans as well, and that their approval rating is lower than low, and the Republicans' approval rating even lower than that of the Democrats, and we have a big presidential election year. In other words, even though they may personally not like him and can go to their constituents and say, hey, forget about that Planned Parenthood thing, but we got Boehner out. Because I, I think that's what it, it kind of is. I, I mean, it's like we couldn't do this, so we're not really going to be able to do that. Uh, because there are a lot of people behind closed doors that are like, we're not shutting this government down. I'm going to get screwed, you know, when I go out for re-election. But, you know, at, at, again, at the end of the day, I think the writing's on the wall that Boehner being pushed out, it, you know, it may make liberals happy. It may even make uh, Republicans happy, especially Tea Party conservative faction Republicans. But the bottom line is, like you said, it, it does deepen that uh, fragmentation in the Republican Party. And anybody knows, you know, politics or history 101, that's not a good thing for any party. Well, let me, yeah, let's take off from there. And let me just note, the nation's had a lot of coverage on this, and I think that in that, what you were just quoting there might be uh, something that I agree with very strongly but may have been written. Yeah, they that. just told me it wasn't your piece. I assumed Polly. it was. I'm sorry, sweetie. <laughs> no, no, don't worry, don't worry. That's it's, the New York Times piece. Yeah, well, even smarter, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but I agree with the point. And here's where we have to worry. Um, and this is a big deal. Uh, if the Republican Party collapses more and more toward the extreme right, toward the hard right, uh, a dysfunctional right, if the Democratic Party simply says, well, we're not that, so vote for us, that's not a functional politics either. Because we sort of keep collapsing our politics further and further to the right. We erase the middle and have a debate around a center-right position. Literally, we have debates around whether we're going to keep the government functioning or not, but not any sort of vision to it. That's not a healthy thing either. The collapse of the Republican Party as a mainstream conservative party becomes a problem for the whole of our politics if Democrats 
and frankly, the media doesn't identify the extremism and challenge it from a very different perspective. So there are responsibilities here that go beyond the Republican Party. You know, you can't just sit on the sidelines and point at the mess that's developing. You can't even do what Marco Rubio just did, I think, today, where he referred to uh, Trump as some sort of freak show or something like that. You know, too many Democrats, too many progressives are comfortable pointing to the mess in the Republican Party and saying, you know, boy, look at them go off the deep end. That's dangerous because we have such low turnout in our elections uh, that without a mobilization of a real alternative and without an identifying of a real alternative saying, you know, look, not only aren't we that, we're the opposite of that. We believe in Planned Parenthood. We believe in a functional government. We actually believe in, frankly, on a lot of economic issues, a lot of things the Pope was talking about last week. Uh, We believe in climate change. You know, it's important to identify the distinctions from that, because if you remember in 1964, when Barry Goldwater was a Republican nominee, Lyndon Johnson wasn't saying, oh, I'm a little more uh, moderate than Barry Goldwater is. Lyndon Johnson was running for the presidency as a full-throated liberal. And Democrats are running for Congress as real progressives. And uh, they talking about civil rights, talking about a war on poverty. And that made our politics functional. We have to guard against, you know, simply falling into a situation where the extremes of the Republican Party begin to define the Republican Party, and then by extension, sometimes through the failures of media, sometimes through the failures of Democratic leaders, begins to define even the Democratic Party. So you would you would agree with Governor John Kasich from Ohio, who said, quote, the people who keep saying that they want uh, things to happen, what have they accomplished? Um, and that was something he had said on uh, CBS's Face the oh. Nation. Quickly, less than a minute, yeah. John. I think Kasich is trying to, you know, literally present himself as the alternative to this, to a greater extent than any other any of the other candidates. That does not make Kasich even a moderate. That makes him a mainstream conservative. But you realize within the Republican Party now, a mainstream conservative is a bold and uh, you know potentially uh, challenging figure to this extreme right. And so Kasich becomes very interesting if by chance he were to become the Republican nominee. Uh, I think that he would put a portion of his party, you know, to the edge and say, look, I'm not going to I'm not going there. That would also make him a much more attractive November candidate. Interesting. John, love having you on, as always, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you. John Nichols, a pioneering political blogger. He's written The Beat since 1999. He writes about politics for The Nation magazine as its Washington correspondent, contributes to The Progressive and In These Times, the associate editor of The Capital Times. That's the daily newspaper in Madison, Wisconsin. A shout-out to all our listeners there in Madison. And uh, his articles have appeared in The Times, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, dozens of other papers. Follow him on Twitter at Nichols Uprising. Also follow The Nation at The Nation, and the website for The Nation is thenation.com. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, 
a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.